This is the Sounding Board Podcast with Hachi and Damo. Thanks to Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to Drinkwise. Good to have your company on the sounding board for DrinkWise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to drink wise. Craig Hutchison in Sydney, Damien Barrett here in Melbourne. Hutchie, you've flown into Sydney today. Hello, Damo. It's nice to see you. Uh, you're in the uh, AFL.com studios. You're wearing one of those uh, oversized microphone heads on your microphone that proudly displays the AFL.com.au colours. It's a little bit indulgent for my liking. And good to see we're still friends. Uh, the world's been unfriending itself over the last seven days. It's complicated, no doubt. A lot of people will be wondering why they can't access their Facebook and what all the fuss is about. But I'm sure <laughs> since this is right in your wheelhouse, you'll have a strong view. How are you, mate? Um, well, uh, this hasn't affected me, actually, because I've actually um, only ever joined Facebook just purely for broadcast purposes. So I'm not a Facebook user. But I think it's fair to say we here at the sounding board were all over this issue before it blew up last week. Is, is that a fair assessment of where uh, you think we were at with it? No, I, don't, I think like everything, we've sit back and pretend we knew it, but we're like Stadler and Mordorf in the Muppets, too late to the party and opinions that don't really count. But hopefully people will still want to listen to them anyway for the next 40 minutes. Look, what a what a game of bluff this has been. Did you see yeah. that return serve coming as aggressively as it did, Damo? Well, I, I, I won't say I saw it coming in the form it came in, but I think we discussed this, actually weeks and months ago that – there was you need to be careful what you wish for when you take on the big dogs of which uh, Zuckerberg or is it Zuckerberg? I've heard it both ways in recent weeks uh, is. And obviously News Limited using Scott Morrison, the federal government to to do its bidding on the whole debate. I mean that that's fine and that's good, and they're still going into bat for News Limited on the on on the the greater goods behalf, supposedly. but when, when an organisation as big as the one in question pushes back, I think you're looking a little bit starstruck and a little bit um, rabbit in spotlight. And, and I think that's where News Limited is at right now. Now, I've got no doubt they'll work out something that will be better than what they had when it comes to the finances finances attached around this. But right now, right now, I, I don't see uh, that, that they are in control of this situation as to what happens next. Yeah, and I love the coverage so far. So I've, I've been... Watching closely the News Limited coverage of this because they are now too far committed to a view. This is the biggest public information news spat they've ever been in. They've been seeding this coverage for years. Now, reading through the papers and how they cover it, because you can just imagine the pressure on the editors in the News Limited cycle at the moment to make sure that they serve the company's needs perfectly in the way it's covered. By the way, that's not a criticism. I'd be doing exactly the same if I was news. You've got to fight your own war in your own paper, so let's, let's get that out of the way. But the two pages on Sunday, there was five stories. They were able to cut and paste it, Damo, in a way that served all needs. The column on the left said, a chance to read the facts, not the fakes. Uh, the social protest may go to court. Uh, there was a third post. You had to get the community group that was affected, Damo. So you had to get the community senseless sabotage story and the photo, which they did. Then you had to get the, yeah. the self-serving Frydenberg story. Frydenberg refusing to back down is the other story. So they've got the politics yeah. covered, the community covered. They've got yeah. every angle coming at you with their view. And then there's a strip ad down the right that says, <laughs> let's face it, there are better ways to access the news. Go to our website directly and go to our app. <laughs> yeah. And you may have caught up with this one today, but but as as, uh, as we talk on this particular Tuesday of, of this week, there's another big 
big-ish story on page two of the, the Victorian offering of News Limited, the Herald Sun on page two, along the lines of um, Facebook losing – it's 20-plus million. I think it's closer to 30 plus me now on advertising dollars that the federal government is now not giving Facebook to yep. uh, distribute its message. So now there's a financial component coming back at Facebook, according to News Limited, which who is uh, clearly covering this story with a, with, a, with a great level of balance, Hutchie. Which they said uh, they couldn't wait to say to the federal government that they'd pull the ad spin, but as if that mattered one dot on the Facebook agenda, like the size of that ad spin in their scheme of their world was versus the stance they're taking... It, look, it is, an, it is a fascinating um, argument and development. The, interestingly, the, what they did inadvertently give them Facebook, by shutting the emergency services and you know the Weather Bureau and a few of these things, Yeah, it had maximum impact, but it did give News Limited a weapon of response from a news coverage point of view. They were able to channel in their argument on the afflicted community groups, which is a little... Um, you know, it's a it's a little interesting in itself. Well, this I would the- argue that's a straw man argument from a news limited perspective. That they couldn't care about that aspect of it when it's all said and done. They couldn't give all- two hoots about that aspect of well, it. All they care of- about, Hutchie, is their own bottom line, and that's what's driving this one. And I don't have a problem with that. But again, when the opposition pushes back to the way it has pushed back, I do go back to that question: be careful what you wish for. Tell me, Hutchie, what what does happen though from here how do you see it playing out because you're affected in your your business um i won't say relies on um access through facebook but it's been benefited and assisted as every other media business has you're not on your own there but you're heavily wired into this space literally well i like the distribution that facebook provides but we're a bit built differently we we're a distribution business that relies and likes lots of different versions of distribution and that's been our business model since day one, like many businesses, I guess. So we're fortunate that we've got an advanced app strategy and .com and podcast and video and all of those things that don't necessarily rely on Facebook. But it is a nice way to distribute your audience on scale. I think I read 22% of news articles come through Facebook in Australia, and it is a way that a lot of people would click through. It does provide a lot of traffic to news organisations. Google's a little different. Google's in the search game. Google's not really trying to be anything other than you, let you use its service to maximise its spend on search. And I, know, I think the deals it's cut have been a little bit strategic. Facebook is arguing that it's not in the editorial business, it's just a pipe. And it does step in and out of that argument a little bit at times. As I said to you a couple of weeks ago, you can understand both sides of this view. You can understand why Facebook are doing what they're doing, and you can understand why news are doing what they're doing. I don't think that news probably thought that Facebook would launch the weapon of mass destruction back, which was shut things down. And now they're too far committed into the argument where they've got to see this out and, and see see how the cookie crumbles at the end of the day. But it is uh, fascinating to watch the, the argument between what's more important, the content or the distribution of it, is being tested for the first time. And the real problem here, the real challenge is that these businesses have been able to innovate around news organisations so aggressively, big tech, to yeah. the point where they have such a hold on everybody. Like, yeah. the media business I, hasn't I think been able to... The ledger's shifted, hasn't it? On, 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 oh, obviously, in my take, you know, I'm, not, I'm not looking at this shifted. through your lens, which is the tech, business lens, but, but it has shifted a, for, for, forever. Tech towers over the media that is fueled by it, without question. Yeah. Well, in, I'll tell one thing, though, Hutchie, the, the public, again, I always say you can't ever claim to speak for the general 
population. But I, I doubt the public cares about the line being trotted out by News Limited that this is about the the, the ownership of of the of the news as as it's outset. This is purely. What? purely a financial argument that News Limited is mounting. And, and I, I don't think anyone's going to see through that. Well, I think it's entitled or to not see it. through that. Like, it doesn't need to apologise for trying to make money because the money that it makes no. pays for the staff it hires in Australia and their wages. Like, the argument that a lot of money gets taken from the country by Facebook and Google is 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 indisputable. At, at, it does take a lot of centralised money from a lot of countries, Facebook and Google, without question. So you can argue, it's not unreasonable to argue on that front. The, the two things I don't really understand, I'm pretty naive on this whole agenda, the two things I don't really get, why wouldn't the government have better sought to tax big tech as, a spo- as opposed to try and charge it for its content? The independent arbitrators are a bit of a weird setup. Why wouldn't it have sought to better tax big tech? And the second thing is, there doesn't seem to be like any commitment to journalism that comes with this. Like, would you not think that if you are going to have to pay for content, that the people who receive that payment might have to commit some of it towards journalism? Like, journalism isn't protected in this. There's not, nothing that says that if Google pay X million dollars to news, that they have to spend even a dollar of it on journalism. I, I would have thought no. that those things go hand in glove a little bit, don't they? Okay. Again, we've probably just about exhausted our uh, um, levels of uh, intel on this topic, Katya, when you're asking me about taxes. But is is the government capable of taxing a, an organisation like, like Facebook? I, I wouldn't have thought it, it is. I, I wouldn't have thought they're too progressive in how they tax yeah. businesses, particularly ones that aren't based in the country. And, and doesn't that – and well, I, I do like your point about – whatever money comes out of it to go back into journalism. But we, we well, know that least, won't happen least, either. That will, some of it. Whatever money is gleaned out of this will go straight to shareholders. As best I've read the, the, the top-line coverage, it doesn't seem like you have to make any commitment to what you'll do in turn for the cheque you'll get. So anyway, it's just mm. one, one observation. Just for my own fascination, I'm now, I've been watching you for 10 minutes. You're in the dark yeah. now. Yeah, the no, room, uh, the lights are going off, and you've I'll kept s- talking. <laughs> What's happened? You're in a you're in a room you know, with the AFL. They've turned the lights off on you, yeah. and you've kept broadcasting. You know, we, we, we there's, there's a certain section of this building that, that doesn't <laughs> have electricity anymore, which which is in keeping with a lot of businesses. But oh, oh, I don't know no. where the lights are, Hutchie. <laughs> they turn the lights off. Get a photo of this if you can, Jane, and we'll share it on our social. All I can see is a silhouette of your glasses. That's all I can see. <laughs> Near the air vent of the roof where there's a little bit of light coming through, you're in the dark and you're broadcasting. Yeah. And you're going to play on like nothing had happened. It's okay. I, I was trying to, but then I looked at the little my little headshot in the box in the bottom right-hand corner. I can't even see myself. I can't even see my notes, Hutchie. Don't worry. You need light, man. Go on, go and pull, turn the light on. Surely I'm going to turn the light on. Just pause this, Jane. Pause this uh, when for the for the purpose of our podcast when I come back. But uh, I just got to find go and find find the try and find the light switches. Hang on. I tell you what, we <laughs> there he is. Lights are back on. I tell you what, we're going to do while I'm waiting for Damo. We're going to do our Office Works Small Business of the Week. On the sounding board, it's our business of the week for Officeworks. Let's get to work. Officeworks has everything you need to prepare yourself for the working year ahead. Let's get to work with Officeworks, helping you make bigger things happen. This week we're going for, and by the way, you can enter your business of the week and go in the running for a $2,000 Officeworks voucher. Simply head to iconwin.com.au to be in the running. This week, Walla and Chester is our nominee who entered or were entered 
printing company in Ballarat was hit hard by COVID. They had a tough 2020. Uh, they're on the way back. They've been operating since 1932 in banners, core flute signs, graphic designs, and advertising. And a lot of their clients, as well as them, did it tough. So they are in the running now for the $2,000 Office Works voucher. You can enter at iCanWin.com.au. You're back, Damo. Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, I think there's sensor lights, actually, so it mustn't have moved all that uh, much in the previous uh, few minutes, but we're back. Um, and that was our business of the week for Officeworks. Let's get to work. Officeworks is everything you need to prepare yourself for the working year ahead. Hachi, I want to pose a question to you. When you hear the phrase un-Australian, what does it mean to you? Well, it's changing by the, the year and by the week, isn't it? So it's, it's, it's different to everybody. I think we, the traits that we feel we've grown up on might not pass the modern day sniff test in terms of our, our true commitment to what a modern progressive Australian is. Well, there's a reason for this. Is there always a vexed question with you? Where's where's this headed? Oh, that's not a vexed question. No, I, I raise it because the, the most recent use of the phrase "it's un-Australian" was the the reaction to the tennis crowd uh, yep. after the men's final booing when Jane Herdlicker was was speaking and, and referencing the the uh, the buoyancy that she certainly experienced about the vaccination vaccinations uh, being rolled out and then the, the subsequent to that statement the the thanking of the state government here in Victoria for putting on the event and everyone seemed to take this um universal view that it was un-Australian that that, that happened. It, it's not un-Australian. I, I, look, I, I hate the phrase. I don't know what it is to be Australian anymore. And, and the, the nostalgic, I think, referencing to which you touched on there is is something that just doesn't exist anyway. Um, and and wh- why would we get too worked up over over what a crowd at any sporting event has to say or, or not say? And this other rubbish about too, that that image and that noise of that crowd booing at that point in time goes around the world. I would argue, Hachi, not one person around the world saw that. No one is watching the chairperson of the tennis organisation after a men's final wondering what he or she is going to say about anything. So I would argue the world hasn't seen that at all. Um, well, it was, it was and, four and or still, five We still try to pride ourselves on how we're viewed. We're, we're still this little country in the eyes of so many that it's important how we present to the world. I mean, people had opinions in that stadium, and I don't even know whether it was a, a, a reference to the, the vac- vaccinations, Archie. I don't know. It certainly was a reference in my eyes, more so than the vaccinations, was a was a booing of the government. But you, you walk down any street corner at the moment, you're going to get a reaction of, of a similar type when you produce uh, the name Daniel Andrews around this town. Well, I think for a couple in of things. In some one, sections of it. it. We convince ourselves that there's hundreds of millions of people watching around the world when, in actual fact, it's generally in the middle of the night somewhere um, in, in some of these countries and there aren't that many people actually watching, for starters, or or staying for the presentations. Number two, we boo everything in Australia. We, <laughs> we don't even realise why we boo or generally have the same view that matches the boo. It's just a thing we do in crowds. And the more we've been away from crowds, the more we feel like letting up a bit of steam and booing someone. And that, that goes back to Ross Oakley and Wayne Jackson presenting. Uh, Bob Hawke was loved, but he was booed when he presented the Cups. Uh, everyone gets booed. And it doesn't make it right or wrong. We're just a booing nation. We boo but things the, without... Um, the, the amateur psychologists and investigators that we all are tr- trying to determine what it was. You know, w- was it because there was a, a large um, component of the crowd supporting um, Novak Djokovic, who, whose views on, on vaccinations are, are well known? We, we tried to make that a link. We tried to then make it a link a, a about someone in authority telling us we should be happy about vaccinations and also someone in authority, i.e. Jane Herlicker in this occasion, telling us we should be thankful for the state government. We just don't 
want to be told to do or think anything other yeah. than what we do or think ourselves. And I think that's yeah. where it's at. I, I couldn't believe the reaction to it. I mean, a crowd booed a, an official at, the, at, a, at a sporting event. Big deal is my take on it. No, but we need, as a sporting society, to grow up. Like, we boo recklessly and then don't want to deal with the consequences. Oh, you know my views on booing, Hatchie. I, I don't know how you, as a Why grown would you boo? adult, would, would boo at the footy. I, I just, I never, even when I was a teenager, I never got the boo component. But I, I know I'm wired differently to a to the normal person that goes into a into a crowd. I, I, I can see that. But I hate booing. I, I just reckon it's one of the silly, why would you boo? You, you cause damage with your sound and sometimes significant damage to people. And you don't. You say that though, as a you say that though, as a middle mid mid forties person these days. Uh, you know, growing up, Hutchie, you you go into the footy as a teenager. I'd imagine you'd be booing the opponents of Geelong. Yeah, there's a herd a herd mentality that you can that you you can get caught in if you allow yourself to. But it it was I've heard the argument that there was uh, someone said something in the crowd and they were booing that person, which I think Virginia Trioli mentioned on her report. Who knows why they booed? The bottom line is, if you boo, what, what, how does it advance anyone's cause if you boo? What, what good, it what good, it what good and, has a boo ever done? And, and the other aspect of this conversation it, it, I wanted to raise today was, okay, so so we're now paying attention to why people in a crowd at a sporting event are booing, and and it seems to become important to some people to to work out why they were booing. Crowds booed Adam Goods for the three years before yeah. he was forced out of the game, Hutchie, and. We didn't do anything. We, we, we were told by the people booing that, that they had a justification to do so. I just don't know why we are now trying to analyse why people were booing at a sporting event. People at sporting events boo, and you don't need to analyse the motivations of those people at all. And, and society has, for the better, changed. You cannot, we cannot accept it anymore. If you boo, if you boo, it's like a spoken word these days. You might as well be saying what you're reacting to and you should be held accountable for that action. If you're booing the vaccine, why, why do you deserve to be in front of the next person next to you who, who needs it and craves it? You know, like it's... Yeah, but how are you going to police, how are you going to police that? It, um, you're not. I'm just expressing an opinion that it is time for people to grow up and stop booing. It doesn't make any sense. Well, they're not can going I ask you, to, Hutchie. Can I ask you a question? They're, they're not going to grow up. Can I ask you a question about this? I've been meaning to ask you about this for a while, and we saw it again on the weekend. Sunday Herald Sun journalist photographer arrested at anti-vax protest in Faulkner Park. The Victoria Police have apologised after Herald Sun reporter and photographer were handcuffed and frog-marched at an anti-vax protest. Olivia Jenkins and uh, Jake Nowakowski were handcuffed and escorted after being caught in a group of anti-vaccinators. They were wearing their accreditation around their necks, identified themselves as journalists, and clearly you can see in the photos they've got, they're wearing face masks, but they were mm-hmm. charged by police. Tell me this. When, when have you ever seen a journalist charged by police where the boss's boss's boss hadn't, hadn't needed to apologise the next day? Like, like, why do we keep arresting journalists given that it never ends well for those who arrest? What, what is the point? I, I don't know. But does it just get back to the, you know, the... the... The picking and choosing as to as to as to what you arrest people at protests for that, that is clearly in play at, in this particular state, Hachi. But if they if the do we want to go down that path? If the journalist is wearing credentials, it's clearly credentialed media, and they're there covering the event. Surely you know when you charge them that it's going to end in it's going to end badly. It always blows up on the back on the police. Like why do why do we we see this around the world? Mm. Or do you think 
in counter to that, the journalists, not in this instance, but in some occasions, try and get themselves arrested to insert themselves in the story. Oh, it's, it's a brave move, particularly if you're trying to get yourself arrested uh, in certain um, overseas countries. I think, uh, look, there would have been genuine fear, I would have thought, from um, from the reporter and photographer in question. I mean, any time that, that you're not used to having involvement with the police and you're, you're having something slapped on you, it, it'd be worrying. But what, I, look, why charge you? If, if, I, I if observed said... a lot of those riots in the States, Hutchie, over the past um, 12 months, 18 months, the, the Black Lives Matter riots, the obviously the COVID-related riots, the, the lockdown riots, there, there were a lot of, um, to use Donald Trump's phrase, a, a lot of fake, a lot, a lot of people presenting, I, I feel, to the police in those situations. And you, and you saw it on some of the footage being, being back from overseas, particularly in the States, people claiming to be media. I mean, that, that, that was on, that's okay. been captured on camera. I'm not making that up. So I, I'm not saying the Victorian police thought that these two people were, were, were claiming to be media people and as, as such had a right to be there. But it may it may have been a reason, and obviously I feel for the police in all of these matters too, particularly here in in Australia, where they get caught up in the moment too, and and they don't know whether they're being sped and spun a lie. But that gets back to the backdrop where some protests, Suchi, in this state, were allowed to go on, particularly early days COVID, at a time when um, there were infections uh, being established in such gatherings that, that that weren't a problem for the police or the government. So. I think, um, you know, I think they need to sort that side of it out too. Have, have a blanket approach to protest. Your lights have just gone off again too, by the way. Go and set your light up. <laughs> there we go. It's a, it's a sensor light. You've got to be a bit more animated in how you talk, Damo. You're going, you're boring even the electricity in the <laughs> AFL offices. Get a bit more animated when you speak. Be a little bit less I think boring. We're on, the nighttime, we're on the nighttime <laughs> oh, rates of electricity here, Hutchie, and we need to just keep oh, the cost down. I tell you what, the footy's cost cutting has never been more pronounced than when the light goes off when Damo's too static in a conversation <laughs> in the AFL boardroom. Uh, just on that, I'll just to probably argue against myself for a second. Do you? Th- the other thing that crossed my mind is that we talked about the line between journalism and the public being almost hard to disseminate between because once upon a time you had you worked for a newspaper or you didn't. Now you work for write for a blog, you work for a, this online platform, you're a part-time contributor to this YouTube channel, and all of a sudden everyone's a journalist. Yeah. We've talked about this. You're Everyone, an influencer. You're an influencer. Yeah. So is it yeah. now impossible for the police to disseminate between someone who is there covering it for a respected news outlet like the Sunday Herald Sun or the person next to them who might be there feeding their own yeah. blog? And, and that, that was my point when I raised the fact that people were claiming to, to be in the media overseas when these riots were, were taking taking place. I, I've never had – I mean, you have accreditation to cover the AFL event, don't you? But in terms of just rolling around the, the state or the country or the world, for instance, um, as, a, as a journalist, in inverted commas, I've got no official accreditation that, that would be universally or even statewide accepted as, as being a journalist. Everyone's- We've never had one, have we? Everyone's a journalist now, and the the way you're really assessed is on how scalable your audience is. That's really yeah. how you're assessed now. Is it you're you're a journalist if you deliver scale to an industry. If you don't, you're a backyard operator. If you have got even if you're at home with a YouTube channel that's got enough people on it, you'll be treated and credentialed differently because of your access to audience. We just we yeah. de- there's been a de ranking of journalism from being yeah. an official. You know, go and get your yeah. What, what do you call that training system you go through? You go get your well, 
I was a copy boy, then I became a cadet. Grade one and then a grade two, or was it? Gra- grade one and grade two. <laughs> yeah, actually, there's, a, there's a, a grading system up to nine, I think it was, that's wasn't it? And that's window, when you yeah. sort of became the, the A-grade journalist, so to speak. But that doesn't everyone's exist a publisher. anymore. Everyone's a publisher these days. That's the challenge. Yeah. Hachi, for, for those of for those people listening um, to us who, who are not familiar with the AFL, the situation at Richmond Footy Club when it comes to the revelation over the Christmas period that, that the coach, the three-time premiership winning coach over the past four seasons, Damien Hardwick's uh, relationship with his his wife had 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 um, had broken, and he was in a relationship with a a member of the Richmond Football Club staff. Uh, the story has has played out publicly, unfortunately, for the, the Hardwicks, to the point where the captain, Trent Cotchin, uh, as recently as yesterday, Monday of this particular week, uh, had to again address it, uh, saying that he's not picking sides in, in any aspect of this situation between his coach, Damien Hardwick, and and his wife, Danielle, and, and the friendship that, that his family has with, with Danielle. Um, I've got some, some views on this. I want to get yours first, please. I feel like it's a really tough one for Richmond, so I have some empathy for their attempt to control the narrative. Uh, they aren't winning that battle, though, at the moment, and I think it was an error to... I mean, it was, it was unavoidable for Trent to talk at the club sponsorship on the 20th, which was an announcement yesterday, but he was only there because of a need to talk, at a club-sponsored event. He should have addressed this at the start of January, Trent. He, the fact that he hasn't spoken until now gave the story six weeks of greater intensity. The fact that Jack Revolt was the first voice to talk at training on the first day back, I didn't like, and I mentioned that to you at the time. Should have been Trent. If you're going to be captain, you're going to be captain in good times and in bad. Not that this is a bad time, but it's a challenging time to communicate, and he should have put his head up and spoken about it as uh, candidly as he could. And so too with Damien, who did a, who was interviewed on our platform last week. But if he had been with Trent at the time, and they both addressed it after they talked to the players, I'm not saying it would have gone away, but it wouldn't probably be uh, as pronounced a story now as it has been. And the other thing that's going to affect this, and it's not right, it's not fair, but if they lose games early, it's going to be pointed at first, second, third, and fourth as a reason why. So their pressure on their performance is unreasonable, but it's true. It's going to be a mm. thing once the season starts where if they're none and two or one and three, do you think this is having an effect? And every television show is going to debate that. Some of it might be reasonable, some of it might not. But it's an inferno that they can't slow down at the moment in 2021 where we are all hypersensitive to social issues and to areas that we perhaps are perhaps none of our business. What are your views? Yeah, my views are uh, similar to what you've said there, and, and I think the delay on Cotchin speaking again, I, I think it opens up the, um, the the right of people to wonder why it, it did take so long. And I don't need to go there because it's not part of what I normally um, concentrate on on these issues. I think you know me well enough, Hachi, that a football coach breaking up with a with a, a long time um, partner. To me, it is a private story. Um, the way the world works, yes, I can see that it is a story, whether it's a three-paragraph story, whether it's a, a eight-second reference on a radio bulletin. I can see that in 2021, it is a story. The Hardwick story, though, was elevated in that media sense because – this is my take on this, Hutchie – because of Damien Hardwick's want to introduce to the media and public narrative the the Mrs. Hardwick line over a number of years to to position the Mrs. Hardwick um, person into his press conferences when he, 
needed to present to the public someone who needed to be straightened up on, on a on a on a behavioural issue. That's why that to me is why this story, to to your point, is going to drag on for a very long time at, at Richmond. Damien Hardwick chose to introduce the Mrs. Hardwick line to to the to the media um, consumption of, of his time as coach of Richmond, and as such. Rightly or wrongly, and as much as I would normally say Damien Hardwick's breaking up with his with his wife has got nothing to do with anyone, unfortunately, he has created a situation whereby it is an ongoing and will be an ongoing story. No doubt. And so that's, I mean, if he had his time again, clearly A, he wouldn't have known that this would have ever happened, and B, he wouldn't have introduced her as a reference point in his press conferences probably because that, in rightly or wrongly, made it a little bit more fair game in the eyes of the media. So that's going to linger. Well, well he's a, m- m- this is moving off the topic we're talking about here because th- this is going to be an ongoing story. But Damien Hardwick's a oh, – look, I think you know my – he's a media disliker, Hutchie, and, and he, I think he felt it was very clever to introduce Mrs Hardwick told me off. She said this to me last night. I've got to be better. I, I just think it was a way of just fobbing the media off on and, and, a, and, a, and a mechanism with which to deal with questions he just didn't want to deal with. You know, when, when he did blow up at other coaches, when he did blow up at certain points of the game, when he had done something he shouldn't have done, we all do it. It's not nothing to be ashamed of, yep. these isolated incidents I refer to, but but he, he's created a, a a problem for himself by, by being this smart aleck when it comes to the, the treatment of the media and using the Mrs. Hardwick element well, to it. There's a little bit of the Clarko about his view of the media from time to time, and he has got a fuse. So we've seen it before, haven't we, with David Schwartz and Tony Jones and mm. others. Uh, what, what's your over and under on the fuse? There'll be The fuse will... This will be a fuse moment at some point in the season. The, the, the fuse moment on it is always going to be predicated on the, the win-loss. If they're after eight weeks, there's six wins, two losses, there's no issue. If they're Even if they're four and four, there's an issue. And, and that's whether there is an issue or not. That's the way the world works. The win-loss component to any conversation when it comes to you know, uh, a sporting event, Hachi. You, you can be as moralistic and, and as ethical as you want to be, but you win matches of footy, everything goes away. You win matches it, of sport, everything goes away. It's a it's a ridiculous and unreasonable panacea for situations, and we've talked about it on the sounding board before. If Dustin Martin was injured last year and didn't play the back end of the year, there's a mayhem off season at Richmond after what they went through through the year last year. There would have been all yep. sorts of ramifications on the back of the way that that club and its relationship with the rest of the industry worked and itself through the year. But winning wallpapers over all cracks and ultimately the pressure just got bigger. You just wonder whether that playing group loves the pressure on them though and we're going to see that in the early part of the year. None of this is fair, by the way. It's just a reflection of modern society, but that's the way it is at the moment. I want to ask you, you follow, we speak about the public narrative Ben Rutten yep. appeared on our station on Gary and Tim on Monday morning on 11.6 SEN Breakfast, which was the latest of the coaches to tell their story, and it was good on him for doing it. What did you think of his performance? There'd been a bit of narrative and discussion about it since. Hachi, I, as much as I, I told you last week that I'd listened to two particular segments on uh, on SEN in the previous week, I, I didn't hear the, the Rutten one. I was actually interviewing um, Essendon players myself at roughly the same time. So I, I honestly didn't even know he was on, having caught up with it. Yep. Okay. It, the, the public side, I, but I think... I, I, haven't, I haven't seen anything about it, though. I haven't, I haven't read anything about it since, for what it's worth, either. I think he... he um, 
I don't think he's the most natural of public performers, so I was rapt that to see him do that. It would be probably a little uncomfortable for him. But he's gonna ha- he's got a little bit of a way to go to grow into that kind of articulate coaching shoes that they would hope that he does. And it's going to be interesting to see whether the Essendon fans, who are notoriously impatient, give him enough time to do that. Yeah, he's got a he's got a big job. Um, given given that he was in charge of the club last year, and, and given that three players walked out of that particular club, they being Danaher, uh, Saad, and, and of course I've got a mental blank at the moment. I said the the third player. <laughs> Hang on, Hutchie, I know where I've written it down. It's embarrassing that I have to go to my notes on this, but uh, Fantasia. Fantasia's a third one. There you go. Yeah. Um, Do you think on on senior coaches their relationship with the media? Tell me about this. Rookie coaches, generally speaking, defer to their media manager to help them through those situations and rely upon their judgment. I would argue that the best coaches have always... Managing the media might be one or two or three or 4% of their job, but I I would argue, not to give it over importance, that the best coaches always manage themselves with the media. They always develop their own direct relationships. They always want to at least have someone they can turn to, understand, have an informal chat with. I reckon one of the things that young coaches fall in the trap of is being not my area and I'll, I'll just do what I'm told. You need to have senior relationships in the media if you're a senior coach in order to survive long term. Do you, do you agree with that that thought? Yeah, I do. Again, if you're winning matches of footy, it, it doesn't matter. You, you can be hated and you can hate the media. And and, and let's face it, they do. And, and and we, on this side of the fence, we do. We hate as well. So if you're winning matches of footy, actually, it, it just doesn't matter. Well, rookie coaches really coach, with the exception of, may say, Chris Scott, who won the flag in his first year, they really get a good list to coach, right? Otherwise, the job wouldn't be available. Yeah. So generally speaking, yeah. you are walking into it. You, you need to manage the media is so big early because you're generally taking over something that hasn't worked. That is true, but you've also got, and, and I always use this um, this this window of 18 months of of, um, of honeymoon. No one's bringing, attempting to bring you down. Not that that's what media does, by the way, but the weight and the accumulation of negative stories does does bring people down. But you've got 18 months minimum. So you've got a season and a half to show something, and that doesn't have to be even a finals outcome. It just needs to be some form of... Um, game plan that, that looks like it's going to work. Whereas, look, I'm I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see what the, the Essendon club does this year because of the situation that Ben Rutten finds himself in. Um, and to, to your point too, actually, let's remove Ben Rutten from this conversation, but to, for those coaches that, that feel they or are being told they need to develop a relationship, if, if they haven't got a relationship with, with, as you say, someone in the media who's got some clout, you're not – immediately and, and quickly going to be able to develop that to, to a point where it works for you anyway the moment you start as coaching. So it's too late. If you haven't got one by the time you start, you're not going to get one. You can, though. You can, you can trade it for access. Like, you just got to pick four, five, six people you think that could have an impact on your, the way you're covered. You would be one of them. It's pretty big. Pretty fake way to go about things, though, isn't it? Well, it's, it's either an organically straight. evolved relationship or, or, or no, one that's not. of a of a no. commercial gain or a, or a very um, superficial no. gain for both the, parties. A relationship you? is never real, ever. Yes, it no, is. Yes, it's it is. never real. The no, people no, you think this is like where you. we do. This is where we do differ. You 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 hold it against me for for being true to who whatever it is. I think I am at a certain point in time when when people may wrong and and vice versa. I don't have an issue with anyone who says anything about me because that's the way I react to at times. So, but but actually, I, I do hold pretty dear the the old fashioned relationship that 
that you once had, you know, in this game. And I've, and you've still, thankfully, there are still some of those relationships I've still got in the game that yeah. are the, organically formed. That they're, they're not a commercial or not a needs-based um, derivative. That you you are so naive on that. You you no, are I'm in not. the, no. the relationships. See how I carry are, myself, Haji. The relationships are in place because you're still you're the product. You just haven't worked out you're the product. It's a marriage no, of convenience. You, actually, I've got a very different view on how relationships are formed in life than, than the way you do. And and I'm not just talking about the um the, the, the mate, media side of it, Hachi. Journalism is the biggest is the greatest marriage of convenience that there is. Absolutely. And and I would argue ninety nine out of a hundred of the relationships I might have in, in media are probably of that nature, Hachi. But I, I would like to think there's one in a hundred that that of people I deal with over over any given season in footy and sport that that is real and and it is real. Those people so, don't. Those people don't dislike you. They probably quite like you. But your relationship with them will change significantly when you're no longer of need to them does. as a journalist. And and so will theirs to you. As, as it does from Marion too, Hutchie. When when they're not they're, they're, when they're not the best player at their football club or they're not the coach of the football club. But I I still I still like to think I keep up with the people that. That that aren't as prominent as they once were, as as we all will be at some stage, not as prominent as, as we are. I mean that that happens on a hourly basis anyway. So it's a little bit different, actually. I, I think it's very superficial what you've outlined there in in terms of you, you can create them. I, you can't create them. Yeah, because if you haven't got the trust to begin with, you, you, you're never going to trust. Yeah, hundred percent, Ken. And that's what smart coaches do is they trade a little bit of access and a little bit of information for a more favourable ear at the other end. It's a marriage of convenience. It is. That's how journalism Actually, works. They're, par- they're paranoid. They're paranoid. Like, you talk about paranoia, insert AFL coach, any AFL coach in the history of the game, certainly the modern game, and they're paranoid. There's they're not going to trade off information on the, on, the, on the possibility of it working out for them down the track. It doesn't work do. that way. You've got, you've got those relationships. So I know some of them. There's embraces and there's deflectors. Some, some <laughs> subjects embrace... Of course, I've got those relationships, but they're not the ones I'm referring to in this conversation. Yeah, I think it's journal, footy journalism and football journalists are one of the biggest marriages of convenience in the country. It, each party, I'll, I'll, I will agree with that. Needs each other to some degree. Hey, um, that <laughs> got a bit weird. Then, tell me. Is Crown Casino in genuine trouble or is it lip service from now the Victorian government? Although I say lip service, you, you, you form a royal commission. It's pretty serious. But the government down here couldn't form a royal commission onto the uh, hotel quarantine issue, but it can on Crown Casino on the back of the uh, yep. the heavy lifting done in this space by the New South Wales government. Boat race. <laughs> you can't say a royal commission boat race. As much as I, as much as I doubt the, the reasons behind it, you can't say it's a boat race. What, what we'll see in what we'll see in Sydney is a little bit of reform, a few changes on the board, a restructured ownership, some legislation that better suits the times, and play on, and the casino will open as it should. In Melbourne, we're going to see a version of the same. It's a very easy thing. It's very populist view to take a stance against the casino as a premier because you know you're going to have the public on your side. But Dan was the minister for gaming, was he not? Did, was he as strong on it then? That's the was area he- I can't can't quite. I did, did, I see a, did I see a oh. statement last night from Helen Coonan, who's uh, the chair of Crown yep. Victoria or Crown Melbourne? Is that is that the position, Hutchie? Exec- executive chair now, I think, of the whole business, yeah. Yeah. Did, did I, again, I'm pretty sure I saw this, and if I didn't, yeah, you correct me, but this statement came out that 
she welcomes the Royal Commission being called into the operations of a business that she's chair of. Who's ever welcomed the Royal Commission into the the, the dealings well, of what an, you have, an organisation? That's what you have to do, though, when you are the subject that of an investigation. That is rubbish, Hachi. You couldn't possibly – can you imagine the stress attached to a Royal Commission yep. into your dealings? You couldn't possibly welcome it. But Please. do you know of anyone that, who's – That is just nothing but rubbish and spin. Do you know anyone who's been investigated who hasn't welcomed it in the first day? Everyone welcomes the investigations. <laughs> Investiga- the only way to respond public in the PR manual, it says, hang on, we've, we there's a Royal Commission to us. Hang on, what's it say here? Or oh, for goodness sake, hurry up and welcome it. Everyone welcomes it. That, the the, the welcoming, welcoming of scrutiny, be it police, government, whatever, in, in a statement of a, of a company of that type is as obvious, Hachi, as the person usually an athlete in this, um, well, in our conversations, who has done something wrong, has uh, he or she has been exposed for that uh, that error, and it might be a, a, a minute error in the scheme of a bigger life, but it's always the statement, it is not who I am, it is not what I stand for. That, that, that has become, that has become okay. the insert, insert phrase here when addressing such matters now, as much as the, we welcome, we, who, who welcomes a royal commission, Hutchie? I've never. Oh, please. You know, the only time I've ever seen someone publicly not welcome something that they privately hated was Donald Trump's yeah. tax returns. He's the only person I've seen. No, no, I'm not doing that. Have you ever seen anything <laughs> other than Trump going, "No, you're not getting those." Yeah. Have you ever seen anyone not welcome anything about them? We're a welcoming response group. And and the government's too, Hutchie. And this this is just my and, and let's call it a naive view on this. So. New South Wales has done all the heavy lifting here on, on Crown with the, the packet arrangements up there at Barangaroo. And, but having said that, they have got one of the great buildings. I saw that building from its infancy start to be built up onto that beautiful part of the Sydney Harbour. They've got one of the, the best buildings in the world. Now, as we speak, as we speak now, no one can actually manage or run it because that's the ruling of the New South Wales people. And I might be slightly wrong on that, but that's my take on it. So you come down to Melbourne one, and one of the traditionally, well, certainly since the mid-90s, early mid to mid-90s, great draw cards to, to Melbourne and Victoria has been the Crown Casino. So th- there's no way the governments are just going to kick them out. That, that's my take on this, Hutchie. I might be naive. There'll be a result that suits everyone's needs. It would be my cynical view. <laughs> I'm becoming you. Your, your man, sounds. your man, Harold Mitchell's allowed us to stand in. Yeah, it, it, it does seem to be a way to be able to clean up directors and um, change some of the laws. And so I'm sure some good will come out of it, but I wouldn't be too – put it this way. Do I think we'll be at the Brownlow at Crown Casino this year? Yeah, Yes, I do. I think we'll be okay. <laughs> so you reckon it still be open, do you? Well, we might not get invited, but up. I think it'll be on there. <laughs> put it that way. Uh, I think we're out of time, Damo. That's, uh, you've you've gone through three sets of lights in the office. I know this is a, an audio medium, not a visual medium, so it's a shame everyone can't see what I've been watching. But to watch you, <laughs> the lights turned off on you three times because you're boring the corridors has been fascinating. So if you're choosing, a little, little, little insight into the uh, into the into what's going on in the in the, the big office cross, spaces, the, the traditionally thriving workplaces, Hutchie. This has been the sounding board for Drinkwise. If you're choosing to broadcast in the dark, be sure to Drinkwise. Thanks for listening to the Sounding Board Podcast with Hutchie and Damo. Tune in for questions tomorrow and to send a question to the boys, email thesoundingboard at sen.com.au, follow the show on Twitter at Sounding Board EP and like the Facebook page. It's all thanks to Drinkwise. If you're choosing to have a drink, choose to Drinkwise. Drinkwise.